Hey, Rockbridge, welcome. I'm glad that uh, y'all are joining us at any of our uh, six locations, all spread out here in northwest Georgia and the Tennessee Valley. And also, if you're gathered online, watching, however you're watching, whenever you're watching, hey, my name's Matt, one of the pastors on our team. Delighted and excited to join you in, in studying God's Word together. We, we are in a series, just let me catch you up, and we're a series called A Better Way. And, you know, we all have a way of doing things, right? Or our family, we might say, that's not the way we do things around here. And, and it's just struck us as we've prayed and talked as, as, as pastors and staff that, hey, there might be a lot of people in, in for such a time as this that we're hungry for, we recognize that we need a better way. And, and we're hopeful that that's given us maybe some humility or openness that we didn't have before. Maybe that's caused us to consider or reconsider how we, the way we normally do things and that we're opening ourselves up to a better way. And we've had a question that we introduced in part one, and, it, and it's a question that we've said literally touches, uh, filters, frames up every decision, every attitude, every choice, every arena of our life. And it's the decision, what is the way Jesus would? And then you just fill in the blank. Uh, what is the way Jesus would handle something? What is the way Jesus would approach something? And last week we looked at, man, what a great conversation last week. What is the way Jesus would handle not being or in control? And I think, you know, just talking to so many of you, listening to your prayers, man, we've all felt that, and we learned the way of Jesus in that. Well, this week we're going to touch on another one that's all-encompassing, uh, another one that I think we're struggling with uh, as a people, as a nation, as churches, as families, and that is, hey, what is the way Jesus would communicate? What, what is the way that Jesus would use his mouth? And if Jesus had a Facebook or a Twitter or an Instagram or a TikTok or a whatever, what is the way Jesus would use that? Because you know what, what's happened, though? Uh, uh, we have all these different ways of communicating, but we've gotten worse at communicating with one another. We've gotten worse. We don't know how to talk about certain subjects. We don't know how to approach certain issues. And, and so I think it's just fitting that we just ask this question, hey, what is the way Jesus would communicate? Whether that's inside your marriage dynamic, inside your work dynamic, inside your social media world, however it is, what is the way that Jesus would communicate? Now, let me back up. And, and Jesus' half-brother, his name was James, and, and he wrote some stuff about the tongue. And just want to throw one out there just to get us rolling. He said this. He said, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. And he said, hey, brothers and sisters, these things should not be, and here's our phrase, right, this way. There's got to be a better way to use our mouth and to use our, our tongue. Because isn't it true, like, isn't it true that some of your greatest blessings were when someone spoke a word of belief or a word of encouragement to you? Some one of your greatest blessings are the wisdom that you received because someone, your grandfather, a pastor, a teacher, a coach, someone blessed you with wisdom that they shared with you through their words. But isn't it also true that one, some of the deepest pains 
that we experience or the deepest pains that we inflict on one another are not physical in nature, but it's when we use our tongue to hurt, to slander, to criticize, to gossip. And so out of the same mouth, we can praise God and hurt another human being. Out of the same mouth, we can give great encouragement and great wisdom, and yet we can slander and make people feel small. And so what this verse teaches us is is something that I think we all know, but we need to stop and recognize it for just a minute, okay? Just to recognize the power of our words. And, And I have to broaden that, or I have to make sure we understand that, that when, I, when we say that, we're talking about things I post online, the way I use my text message, the way I send emails, the way I am on the phone. It's just the whole body of how we, differ, how we communicate. And we all recognize this power. And, and here's something that I learned because I was in Navy nuclear power, and, and this is true in the nuclear world, and it's true in the world of communication. Great power without great discipline brings great destruction. Now, this great power that God has given us that reflects his own ability and power to communicate and create with his words, we have that as made in his image. But great power without great discipline, without great (coughs) intentionality brings great instruction. Now, I was thinking about this, though, because I think we need to get underneath it. Why is it that many of us, most of us, a lot of us can be so careless or so undisciplined with our words? Why is that? And, and I was thinking about it, I, th- I thought of a couple of things. I think number one, I mean, there's, there's our culture, right? Our culture is a very much express yourself culture that, you know, I just, and we'll even say, I just tell it like it is. And we'll say things like that, or I get to express myself, or I needed to get that off my chest, or I needed to vent. So, so our culture sort of pushes in, this, in that direction. S- secondly, we have, an oppor- we have more opportunities or more avenues or more methods of communication than in any time in human history. And so, man, we've got this available to us, so we'll just say it. And it's almost like, hey, just because you can say it or there's an opportunity to express yourself, maybe we shouldn't. And then, you know, obviously we're Americans and we've been given this incredible right called the freedom of speech. And a lot of us are happy and and excited that we get to use it. Sometimes speaking is just a method of self-assertion. So I was thinking about that and how all of us, you know, in our own way have have said things we wish we could take back or we've taken liberties with communication. And I was thinking about this and, and, and see if you agree with me on this. When we say something or say it, we tend to minimize it. Right, we'll say something that is kind of like, you know, you you can see how it affected your kid or you can see, you know, how it made people feel. And then you'll say, well, I didn't mean it that way. Or, or I, I, you know, you'll say, well, you know, I really didn't mean that. So when we say it, we sort of minimize the impact of it, what we said and how we said it. However, though, when we hear it, when we hear it, we magnify it or our perception of it. So when we say it, we'll say, well, I didn't really mean it. Oh, you're, oh, you're just making a big deal out of it. But when we hear it, then we say, I can't believe you said that. Isn't that weird, right? Isn't that, that we're sort of like, you know, we're, we're sort of like lower the standards for ourselves when we speak, when we post, when we text. But man, if we get it our way, we magnify it. Which goes back to we've got to recognize the power of our words. 
And God's given us this incredible ability to, to make relationships through communication, to, to do organizations and businesses and families that run on communication, churches that run on communication, and, and this whole stratosphere of communication. And, and yet we struggle with the better way because all of us, myself included, as someone who more or less does, speaks for my job, and we got to watch what we say and how we say it. And I, and I don't know about you, but I think a lot of us are hungry for a better way. I, I, I can't tell you how many families that our pastors have encountered. They're like, oh, we can't talk about that. Oh, that would just end in an argument. Oh, if we bring that subject up, hmm. I, I can't tell you how many times a, a staff member, an elder has, has like been sent a screenshot of, of something a rock bridger has posted. And you're like, and you read it and you don't know the context. You're like, man, I, I just think there's a better way. Uh, you know, how, how many times two people get mad at each other or, or one person's mad at someone, the other person doesn't even know they're mad at them and they don't talk about it, but they post about it. So is there a better way? So I, I just want to back up and I, I just want to start with Jesus. We learned last week that he's fully God, fully man. He was tempted and had opportunities to use his tongue in the same way you and I have to use our tongues. And I find it very insightful in more ways than one that we're going to unpack in our time together this weekend that at the end of his life, Jesus had multiple opportunities to use his tongue in a variety of ways. And I just want to look a little bit and zero in a little bit on how he chose to do that. So he's uh, been arrested and he's being tried now by the religious leaders. And this high priest stands up and said, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? And Jesus kept silent. And I, and I was thinking about that for just a second because here's Jesus falsely accused Here's Jesus who's perfect. Here's Jesus who has, who's the master of the human language and who can, with just one statement, one question, just change the whole way of looking at things and examining things and, you know, the things like the Good Samaritan. Well, who is the neighbor then? I mean, just, wow, that's just like one of those home run questions and home run statements. And here's Jesus who has every right to defend himself because he is right. Here's Jesus who knows everything going on inside the evil, conniving, manipulative, power-hungry heart of the religious leader, the high priest, and he could just slice him open with conviction with one word, and it says Jesus kept silent. Now, we're going to get underneath that later on, but I just think it's marvelous because how hard is it for you and I to hold our tongue? Exactly, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it gets quiet. And I'm quiet. It's like, ah. But, he, but our Savior, our King, our Lord did. And the story goes on. The high priest says to him, he says, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us, Jesus, if you're the Messiah and the Son of God. And all Jesus said, he said, you have said it. So he doesn't deny it here. He says, but I tell you in the future, you're going to see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven, coming in victory. So he does assert who he is. He does assert where he's going to take history. Later on, Matthew 27, we flip over a chapter and it says, Jesus is again being accused again by the chief priests and the elders, this time in front of the Roman governor Pilate. And it says he didn't answer. And so then Pilate says, don't you hear how much they're testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge. And because of this, the governor, it says, was quite 
amazed. And I, and I think we just have to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus and think how quickly we are to run and tweet it, to run and post it, to go and say it, how quickly we are to assert ourselves and our position and our opinion and tell our side of the story and tell how we're right or you're wrong. And, and we, just, we just go to those places, and it's easy to do that, is it not? It's easy to just tell it like it is, especially because you can do it on Facebook, you can do it on Twitter, you can do it on text, you can do it on face-to-face. -face. You can call them up, or you can just do it through gossip. I mean, it's just so easy, right? And yet our Savior King didn't answer. And, and, and I think one of the reasons, you know, that the governor Pilate was amazed is because everybody had an answer when they're under accusation. And, and so here's, here's, here's just a quick takeaway. We're going to get underneath this some more. But let's just agree that we probably need to be slower to speak, slower to text, slower to post, than most of us are. If Jesus was that slow under those conditions, then probably we ought to just dial it back a little bit and, and, and calm down. And, and the half-brother agrees. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be really quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And if you were to take 21st century Western society, 21st century church world, 21st century political world, 21st century social media world, 21st century America. We just need to change some things. Everyone is slow to listen, quick to speak, and very quick to get angry. So are we in the way of Jesus? E even the Old Testament talked about the challenge here. It says, hey, when words are many, sin is unavoidable. So the more you talk about it, the more you write about it, the more you pray, say about it, you're probably at some point going to step across a line of sin and confession, but the one who controls his lips is wise, is wise. And so one of the things we've got to do is stop making this excuse of, oh, I just had to get it off my chest, or stop making the excuse of, oh, I just had to tell it like it is, or stop making the excuse of, oh, I didn't really mean that by it, and really understand something. And this is where it's going to be tough, okay? This is where we're going to need the blood of Jesus upon us this weekend. Hear me? This is where we're going to need the blood of Jesus over us this weekend. Because we think, remember, we minimize what we say, but we magnify what you say, the other person says. So we sort of think, you know, we didn't mean it. We didn't mean anything by it. No, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, right? But that's just not what God thinks, so we need to understand there is a connection between what we say and how we say it and who, listen, we really are. We need to understand there's a connection between what we say or how, and or how we say it and who we are as human beings. So, you know, I didn't mean that by it, or I just had to get that off my chest. The Bible, the Word of God, what we're committed to teaching more than ever at Rockbridge, and more than ever we're committed to teaching ourselves as God's people to walk in the ways and the footsteps of His Son, Jesus Christ. We can't get off the hook that easily. So, again, the words of Jesus back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. 
He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. And all he's saying is, who we really are is known by the character that we exhibit. Who we really are is, uh, you know, we can say, oh, I believe in God, but if our words or actions or attitudes reflect otherwise, we're known by our fruit. And then Jesus immediately starts to get very specific about what kind of fruit he's talking about. And he uses, he gets kind of angry, you know, and he says, he calls the people brood of vipers. Well, that's one way to make space in a church, right? Just call everybody a brood of vipers. See you next week, brood of vipers. I mean, but, but Jesus was not known, you know, to mince. He needed to make his point. And he says, how can you speak good things when you're evil? And here's the kicker. He says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So I didn't mean anything by it. No, there's something in your heart that's reflected by it. And the fruit that Jesus zeroes in on is the fruit of our lips, the fruit of our words, the fruit of our communication. In the 21st century, that would include the fruit of our social media, the fruit of our emails, the fruit of our texts. And he says, look, what's coming out of your mouth is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. And he goes on, he says, hey, a good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. And an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. They're connected. So what comes out of us is connected to what's going on in us. So he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. Well, that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? So, so remember I told you, I, I can't say, oh, I didn't mean that, or oh, I'm so sorry, you know, I, I take it back. I can't say that and just walk away from that. I can't. I, I can't, you know, get mad at midnight and post a social media post, go to bed and wake up and say, oh, I got that off my chest. Now let me go delete it because I didn't really mean it. I can't get off like that because not the words of Matt, but the words of Jesus. And then he says this, he says, for by your words, and I want you to remember this because I'm going to come back to it about, toward the end. For by your words, you'll be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. So we have to recognize the power of our words. We do need to be slower to speak. And we have to understand the connection between what we say, how we say it, and who we really are. Now, Jesus has just taught us that what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of going on, what's going on in our hearts. So I want to go back to Jesus under trial, Jesus under arrest, Jesus who's more, or not, more often than not quiet, silent, holds his tongue in front of his accusers. And we're going to go on a little journey, but this journey will lead you, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, this journey will lead you to worship Jesus more passionately if we'll lean in and listen as God speaks to us. <clears throat> so the question we're going to try to answer is, okay, what's going on in Jesus' heart at his trials where he's unjustly accused that causes him, allows him, and moves him to be silent. The journey begins. In Romans 3, 19, Paul makes an incredible statement. He says this. He goes, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. And the law 
in part is God's mirror that he holds up in front of people to show us our guilt, to show us that we are evil, to show us that we are a brood of vipers if we do not have the blood of Jesus that covers us, forgives us, and renews us, and restores us. So the law, the rules, the Ten Commandments, the Old Testament, the New the Sermon on the Mount, the law speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth will be shut and the whole world will become subject to God's judgment. And, and, and the implication here is that, you know how if you've ever been to a disaster scene or, you've, or maybe you've even walked into like a funeral service or a visitation service and in the presence of kind of devastation or death, people get so what Paul is saying is when you are come under the conviction of the law, that you have sinned, you have offended, or, or you have hurt, or you have grieved, or you have violated you know, who God made you to be, and you're not living up to his standard. When you come under that conviction uh, and that sense of, oh, you're, you're just, there's nothing to say. You just get silent. We get a similar theme in the, in the Old Testament books of Isaiah. And in Isaiah 5, there's, there's what's called six woes. So six judgments that Isaiah announces as a prophet. And they, and they have to do with debauchery. They have to do with injustice, greed, defiance, and deception. So this is Isaiah calling out the culture that he lives in, in in Israel at the time. He's calling out all of these things, and there's six woes. And I was reading this and reading some commentary, and, I, and I, you know, you got to remember the, the, the original Bible didn't have chapters and verses. It was just written. We added those in just to help us organize, help us talk about it. And in Isaiah chapter 6, the scene changes to a scene in heaven, but there's a seventh woe. And this woe is not the woe of what's going on out there. It's the woe of what's going on in Isaiah as he comes into, into encounter a holy God. So he's up and getting this, this, uh, this vision of heaven. And here's what he hears going on. Holy, holy, holy. God's pure. God's glorious. God's holy. To the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the tem temple was filled with smoke. So when we, we, he gets this vision of God as completely other. God is pure. God is holy. And then here's the seven woe. Woe is me. Not woe to you out there. Woe is me. He's in the presence of beauty and glory and holiness. Woe is me. I am ruined. And look what he says. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I am guilty. As Paul said in Romans 3.19, in the presence of purity, we come under conviction and our mouths are shut. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, just a famous British preacher, he actually makes this statement. He says, listen, you are not a Christian unless you have been made speechless. How do you know whether or not you are a Christian or not? It's that you stop talking. This is his commentary in Romans 3.19, actually. You do not begin to be a Christian until your mouth is shut, is stopped, and you are speechless and have nothing to say.
because you can't defend yourself. You know you're guilty. You know you're not worthy. You know you deserve the judgment of God. That's what the law does. That's what the presence of a holy God does. We have nothing to say. So Jesus, sinless, never guilty of anything. Why was he silent? Why was he silent when he could have said anything and changed the dynamic just like that? The prophet Isaiah says he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Key way of understanding this is this analogy of Jesus as a lamb that he's being sacrificed. Jesus was silent before Pilate. Jesus was silent before the high priest because in those moments, he was standing in our place, taking our guilt. And so he closed his mouth to take upon him our guilt, our careless speaking. All the times our mouths have reflected the evil of our heart, Jesus said, I will take it. I'm not, well, I won't defend myself because I'm standing in the gap to pay their penalty, to take their shame, to take their guilt. And so Jesus did not open his mouth. And the reason that's so important for us in this age where we can say anything we want at any time is that we must come back and recognize something. Jesus is first our Savior and only then is he our example. And we have to pause before we use this powerful organ, this powerful instrument called the tongue. We have to pause before we use this powerful method of communication called social media or email or group text or group me. We have to pause and reflect and remind ourselves that Jesus held his tongue as he took our shame, guilt, and penalty. And then, and only then do we move and say, I want to communicate like Christ. I want to have a redeemed view, a, a transformed view of how I speak, how I post, how I think, how I share, how I express myself to my kids, to the public, to my family, to my spouse. And I, I, I just want us to step back. I, I, we need to step back, church. Step back with me right now. Go with me right now. We need to step back. Because I know you can say whatever you want, whenever you want. I know there's voices out there inviting you to join them in getting mad. There's voices out there inviting you to join them in getting bitter, bitter and cynical and suspicious and spewing that all over in any platform you can. I, I know sometimes, she, husband, she pushes your buttons and whoo. I know sometimes, ladies, he pushes yours and you're ready to let him. Have, I got kids, I got teenagers, whoo, and they push. I, I know, but I want us to step back and I want us to look at Jesus again. And let's worship him. Because he did not commit sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. But when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. 
And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus said, I don't have to validate or vindicate myself. I don't need to tell people who I am. My father has me, and my father is who I trust. Stop. How many oops things have come out of you, come out of me, in the name of trying to self-vindicate or self-validate? And you went too far, and you said too much. May we consider Jesus, our Savior first, our example second. We, we go to Luke's gospel, and we see Jesus again. This time, he's on the cross. He's at the place called the skull. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. And then Jesus said, of all the things Jesus could have said, Father, forgive them. Because they do not know what they're doing. And as he said that, they gambled for his clothes by casting lots. How many of us could end, listen to me, could end right now a relational problem in our church, in your job, in your marriage, in your home? How many of us right now, it would end or it would move to getting better if you could just say, I forgive you? I've stopped many of problems in my marriage by just saying, Beth, I need you to forgive me. I've exasperated many of problems in my marriage because I was too prideful to say, Beth, I need you to forgive me. I've seen my words close my boys' hearts. You see it. I've seen those words, hey, will you forgive dad? Reopen those hearts like that. There's some houses divided. May we look at Jesus as our Savior first and then our example. And we have to, church, have to take our anger, our frustration at whoever it's directed and get to this spot where we can say these words. And then finally, the last thing Jesus spoke before he died. So powerful. I, I mean, we just worship him right now. When he had received the drink, he said he was thirsty. They gave him something to drink. It was kind of bitter. And he looked up to heaven. And here's what he said. It's finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. What was finished? What was finished was Jesus had done everything needed to make you and I right with God. He did everything. He held his tongue when he could have spoken. 
because he stood there defenseless, because he was absorbing and taking our guilt and our penalty for all the evil that comes out of our heart. He bore it himself. And at the end, he said, God, it's done. It's done. Your sons and daughters can come back into fellowship and relationship with you, Dad. Just like I have fellowship with, with you, Dad. <coughs> and so I just stop and worship Jesus. And I'm like, Jesus, thank you for not speaking. Thank you for going the distance and finishing it. You're my Savior first, and now you're my example. And so, church, here it is. So beautiful, so powerful, right? When the word of his work, and we call that the gospel, the good news. When the word of his work, or what he's done, transforms us, then the words of our mouth begin to come, become pleasing to him. And our mouths begin to become a reflection of his work, his character, and his heart. And so the, 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 there's a miracle of the mouth, right? I mean, this thing that can hurt, bless, and curse. James, Jesus' half-brother said it. This thing that has blessed you and hurt you, this thing that you have blessed with and hurt with, there's a miracle of the mouth. And, and Paul begins to allude to this transformation of the mouth when he says, hey, let no corrupting talk, unwholesome talk, unedifying talk come out of your mouths. We can extrapolate that with the principle of, or come off your social media page or your email, whatever, right? It's communication. But only such things, and look, only such things, only such things as is good for building up, as fits the moment, there's a time and a place, that it may give grace, highlight that word, grace to those who hear. So here's the miracle of the mouth. And it's just so powerful, and it's only God can do this. Listen, here's the miracle of the mouth, okay? What shows my need for Jesus as my Savior, my mouth. Because remember, my mouth spews anger. My mouth reveals that my heart is sinful. My heart is broken. My heart is in need of redemption. So what shows me my need for Jesus as my Savior gets transformed by Jesus' death in my place. Now it becomes a means of grace that I can give grace to others as I follow Jesus as my example. Is that not amazing? So this thing that convicts me, this thing that gets me in trouble, this thing that hurts people, this thing that has spewed so much garbage into the world, when this thing is silenced under the conviction of that we have sinned against a holy God, we violated his law, we're... In, and yet we receive his grace because he stood silent for us and he took it for us, then this thing now becomes a means to bless, not to curse, to praise, not to complain as we follow Jesus as our example. <coughs> so I give you a few handlebars. The first one is this. Let's go back and be slow to speak. We're, we're broken people. We're not perfect yet. <coughs> so for many of us, all of us, here's what I would, here's what I would say. Look. Just have a strategic pause before you go there and talk, post, or tweet. Just stop in silence, stare at Jesus, and pause. Because once it's out, it's like toothpaste. You can't get it back in, okay? Strategic pause. Second thing I would encourage is this. We as the Christ followers, we as a church, 
I'm speaking to my church, Rockbridge Community Church. We got to work on our accents. I remember when I went to the Naval Academy, I lived with a guy from Ohio and Northern Virginia, and they were like, who just moved in? It was like Mayberry moved in, right? And uh, Christians ought to have an accent. We, people ought to know we're Christians simply by how we talk, how we post, how we tweet, how we group text, how we do anything. They had to see us in the grocery stores talking to our family. They will see us at Walmart talking to our family. We ought to have accents. They ought to read our social media posts, and, and without even saying we're a Christian, they ought to say there's something different about that one. When we talk to our waiters and our waitresses at restaurants, they ought to, know, they ought to hear the accent. They ought to hear the accent. When we're in small group and we're bearing our souls and asking for help and ask for accountability, our accent ought to be thick. Let me give you some scripture. First one is this. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples, students of Jesus. That's our purpose, right? We're trying to become more like Christ, students of Jesus. That I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. I may know how to talk to people and give grace. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. So as I listen to him, I'm able to give grace to the weary. Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ, the word of Christ, dwell richly among your church, among your people, among your small group, among your family. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, he says, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So people ought to know that our words reflect the name of Jesus Christ. So our accents are this, word-centered. We're quoting Scripture. We're calling people back to Scripture. We're evaluating everything in light of Scripture. Our words, our accent ought to be grace-giving, gracious words, kind words, gentle words. Our accent ought to be praise-filled. And our accents ought to be thankful, ought to be thankful. So how's your accent? See, what, what are the words that you're putting out in the world? Do Matt Evans' words, your words, however you have a platform to speak, does it make the world a better place? Does it make those who hear you encouraged, hopeful, thankful, or discouraged and angry? So, hey, Robert, I, 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 we want to grow in this and get better in this. And one of the things that I recognize is, I mean, I, there are so many voices that, that you're, you're getting and so much information out there, and, and we're all struggling to kind of put it together. And, and how, how, do, how, how is the church behave and act for such a time as this? I mean, literally every week, you know, I'm answering questions. Our campus pastors, our pastors are answering questions. Like, where, where are we on this? And what do we do with this? And what do I do about all this? And we don't even know how to talk about it. So listen, I, I just really, you know, for like the third time, second time, fourth time, whatever it is, in the history of Rockbridge, I want to invite every member to be at First Wednesday uh, in, in October. And we're going to just have that conversation. Afterwards, I just want to share some things. I want to talk about some things. Afterwards, I'll do a live Q&A online, uh, and we'll put that time out. So if you want to ask me a question, you can. And then starting Monday, starting Monday at all six of our locations, we're going to have pastors that just go into the community at a set time in a specific place, and we're going to do this. Uh, I don't know how long we're going to do it, but we're going to do it every Monday, 
And if you just need to come in and talk to a pastor, you need to come in and pray, or, or you want to send an email or a text and get a response within a quick, you know, just, hey, I need to get something prayed for, get, get some advice, get some, I just need to talk. We want to be available. We want to be in the community. And we want to begin to model this talking and giving others grace that comes through the power of a transformed term. term. So I'm going to go through this real quickly, and this will get out on our web and social media. Dalton Monday Meetup is going to be at Cassidy. Cafe from 7 to 9 a.m. Mark or one of his staff or elders will be there. Ringo Monday Meetup, Caffeine Addicts, 8.30 to 10 a.m. 8.30 to 10 a.m., Caffeine Addicts, Ringo. Cleveland, Bond, Bond Life Coffee, 9 to 11 a.m. Chatsworth, Starbucks in the Ingles in Chatsworth, 9.30 to 11 a.m. Calhoun, Calhoun's going to be at Calhoun Coffee Company, 10 to 11.30 a.m. These times won't change. These places won't change for a while. And if you just want to talk to your pastor, talk to someone on staff, have prayer, have, ask anything, show up or, or text or email, your campus pastor will let you know the best way to get them. And then in Hickson, Monday meetup, sourdough, cup of joe. That rhymes 12 to 2, 12 to 2. Six places. We're available to talk. We want to give the grace that comes from a redeemed tongue. We want to give the grace that comes from a church that's going to work on its accent. All right? Now, a while ago, I read kind of a passage, and it got real quiet in the venue that I'm in. Maybe it got quiet online or wherever you're watching. <clears throat> when we said that we're going to have to give an account for every careless word we speak. But <clears throat> Jesus has stood in our place. If we've done this, if you confess with your mouth, there it is again, right? Mouth reflecting the heart. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart. See the connection? Mouth to heart, heart to mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the invitation is simple. It's for two groups of people, okay? Some of you here today, and you've never done this. So yeah, if you stood in front of Jesus, in front of God as your judge, you would not have Jesus in your place. The blood of Jesus would not cover you because you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart. But right now, God, the Holy Spirit may be saying to you, now is your time. Just say yes. Just confess right now in your mouth, in your spirit, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. He died in your place. He stood silent for you. He didn't defend himself because he was in your place, and you were guilty, and so he didn't defend himself. He just took it so he could offer you salvation and sonship and daughtership and adoption and eternal life. If that's you, say yes to Christ. If you know that you're a Christ follower, Maybe today is just a day to come back and say, God, I have misused my mouth. God, I haven't posted on social media in the five years since I've had my account. Nothing I've posted looks like the name of Jesus. Jesus, I want to come back to you. And I want to begin to speak and communicate as a student of yours, not a student of culture. I don't want to be a disciple of anger and cynicism anymore. God, I, I don't want to talk like politicians anymore. God, I don't want to talk like Hollywood anymore. God, I don't want to talk like I'm bitter anymore. I want to talk like you are Lord 
and that God raised you from the dead. Let's pray together. God, just have your way in our hearts today. Have your way in our church. God, we need an accent that makes us known as followers of Jesus, our Lord, that you raised from the dead. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.